This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by FanQuest, happening June 22nd and 23rd at the Red River College Exchange District Campus. Go to fanquestcon.com for tickets and information. Attention, citizens. It's time for Super Pulp Science. This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I'm here with my long-suffering co-host, who uh, is back from the dead. No, not yet. Not, not I'm not going to talk much on this podcast. I'm, I'm a little under the weather. We're also here with artist Matt Kaler. Is that how you would like us to talk about you as an artist? Sure, yeah, that's is who that I am. Okay? That's artist. who you are? Yeah. Deep in your, like, in your soul, that's who you are? I, in, deep in my soul, in the way, way deep down in my heart, in my soul, that's who I am, an artist. So, yes. um, a number of years ago, I don't know when, how long ago this would be, you can confirm or deny this. Justin and I remember we were walking past a booth. I don't know what show it was. And we both stopped and we both were like, whoa, these are really good. Whoa. Oh no. And, uh, <laughs> and I believe it was your table. So, uh, tell, why don't you tell our dear listeners the journey of you, uh, tell them what kind of art you do. And then, um, We'll go from there. Have you okay. done a show at the Viscount Gort before? Yes, that was... I think that was it. Was it? Yeah. yeah. It was a really, really tiny show. Yeah. Yeah, that was the one. That was it. Yeah. yeah. Who the hell is this guy? Also, <laughs> how you remember those specific details? I don't... I can't yeah, do it. That's, I barely remember that. Um, so I, I'm a digital artist. I... Well, I started out doing, like, tr- just traditional uh, pencil and paper, that kind of stuff. Um... What made the transition? What was the leap to digital for you? Um, just seeing other artists do it. Like, um, at the time, I was looking at DeviantArt quite a bit, and all these people were doing these amazing things with with uh, with tablets and computers. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. I should jump into this. And I, I just went for it. I just went for it. Huh. I, I got a cracked copy of Photoshop. Um, <laughs> um, Photoshop, if you're listening, our licenses are all up to date. <laughs> right. That's uh, yeah. Um, so, but it was so hard to get into digital because it was like relearning how to draw. Mm-hmm. Like it was so, I was so frustrated with the process and it took me too long. Well, it took me a long time to get where I am now. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of people, it's hard to make that transition into digital because they don't have to work digitally. They have to force themselves or if you're, yeah, if you're not forced to tr- like learn to draw digitally, yeah. it's hard to like make yourself do it because it's that first, first couple steps and for me the, are yeah, hard. Yeah. And the big step for me doing any digital elements in my own work was that I couldn't take it wherever I was going. Right. Right. Like mm-hmm. I love the idea that you know, have sketchbook will travel. Like wherever yes. you are, you can make work, you can make art, you can capture yeah. some of that. And then the idea that, oh, not have to be plugged in, right? Mm-hmm. Only can go as far as my extension cord and only as far as the sun will allow the right. glare on my screen yeah. to allow me to work. So those are those were hurdles for me too. But uh, And I guess from that, that kind of, I kind of developed what you see today, like my style, I guess you'd call it a style. I don't know what, what you would call oh, it. Oh, we would call it a It's style. a very clean style. I always thought it was vector until you told Everyone me it wasn't. Everyone says that. Um, it used to be very grungy and kind of 
that was the frustration that I was putting into it. Like, mm. oh, I have to draw these lines, and they're not, they're not behaving themselves. <laughs> so I would just kind of do like these broad, quick strokes, and those would, I would pass that off as art, and <laughs> and eventually over time, I would get used to the digital world where, I I guess I jumped. I can't remember. Was it two years? I jumped into an iPad Pro, where I was just going straight onto a tablet, which was really nice because the mm -hmm. disconnect between the screen, your hand, and this plastic thing that you're working on. Yeah, that's tricky. Was a little bit tricky, yeah. and it always had been very tricky. And uh, uh, so, I guess where was it? What am I? What am I talking about? Where am I? Did, uh, <laughs> that is not vector That's and not the vector. development of the style. Yeah, so it used to be really grungy and that was the part of the frustration, but eventually I sort of grew into, um, I, I grew patience is what I, what I did. Interesting. I, yeah, how are you getting your smooth lines? Are you using like the brush tool and you just have steady hand and patience? Are you using the pen so tool with nodes or? It's a combination of it's quick strokes or if I really plan out my pieces, I'll do actual sketches mm -hmm. at the start and then I'll with the thing with the iPad Pro is I can zoom in pretty close and do like really fine detail like just slow and steady as she goes kind of thing um, and so a lot of the things that you see now on my website or in social media that's a lot of that is due to a lot of patience mm -hmm. and just it's funny because people tend to equate the jump to digital with like, I want to hurry up. I want speed. Mm -hmm. I want all these other things, but there's this great ability in the digital space to zoom way in mm -hmm. and to spend a lot of time with tiny details. And you see that, you know, I've been um, really interested with all the spawn 300, like hullabaloo that's going on. It'll be the longest running independent comic. Tom mm -hmm. McFarland has been showing a lot of his process lately. Uh, and he switched from, uh, pen and ink to digital and watching him zoom like he does these great videos where he zooms in and zooms in and all those little feathery lines all those little stuff that are you know when you pull it out it's like 200 lines that turn into this tiny little yeah. speck mm -hmm. on the page <laughs> it's like for what purpose but that's just part of his process is he needs to layer and layer and mm -hmm. layer and hatch and layer and put all that stuff in there um and people have this tendency to look at digital art as a way to like take a shortcut or speed it up or whatever, but sometimes it's a way to be more precise. Getting that precision and all that detail has actually been really kind of uh, cathartic. Like it's been, when I take a deep dive into something, I get lost in it and it just feels so great to do what I'm doing, doing what I love, so yeah. So you see, so is that what keeps you making art? Is that flow, that space where the world disappears? Yeah, I, I would, that, that's exactly what it is. What are you doing for full-time work right now, and what's the side hustle? I am currently working as a full-time graphic designer, which I really like my full-time job. It's something that I went to school for here at, uh, in Winnipeg. And, uh, Red River program? Yep. Yeah. Uh, I Just started. Down the street. Yep, yeah. I started out. Actually, I went to Winnipeg Tech first for, at, uh, for production art. It was a one-year program. It was really hard to get a job with just a Winnipeg Tech. Mm. Um, I think they're called MITT now. Right. Um, so I took. I decided 
I should probably upgrade and go to Red River, and that's been really helpful. But it also burnt me out fairly quickly, like the program. It's you, a t- yeah, you went through it. Yeah, and I think it's just gotten tougher. So <laughs> Really? That's uh, <laughs> shocking. Um, so I actually took a year off from graphic design, and I jumped into 3D modeling and animation, which was... Like on your own, or uh, no? I, I jumped into the programs that they have offered at Red River. I want to do that. It sounds awesome. Um, it was cool, and yeah. it was really hard to like uh, start from the ground up in year three. Yes, uh, <laughs> say, yeah. So, uh, but that was what I needed to sort of recharge my, or I guess fall back in love with graphic design. Mm. I just needed a break. I needed to do something else that right. was just kind of really different i guess and what's that expression a change is as good as a rest yes right yeah and sometimes well and i find too um i play with rudimentary 3d programs Mm -hmm. and just when i'm turning things around and looking for angles and doing that kind of stuff it really does get that part of your brain that's looking for the snapshot yeah right and when it locks in you're like ah there it is right yeah you use different muscles which is nice to flex we have just received orders to abandon and nuclear destruct all the forests both of you are red river alumni and you both made that painful face when he said how hard it was <laughs> yeah. so um is that just because of the pace of the technology the pace of the course the pace like what you know if if for our dear listeners who are thinking like oh I should jump into a I think program like that. I think it's the quantity, the amount of work that they give it's a, you. Like it's a condensed program. You can get like the equivalent program at another school in the city, but it takes four to five years, and you can do it at Red River in two to three. Right. right. So it's it's a lot of stuff. Or the same amount of work, just mm-hmm. less time to do it in. Mm-hmm. Well, that's more but indicative of the actual that's world. That's it. It kind though. of mm-hmm. it that's really true. instills completing your projects on a deadline and surviving and yeah I, I loved it but it was it's tough it was tough and I I really thrived I think mm-hmm. um it's it also helped help me to draw better like just yeah. composition wise I'm also rounding palettes. rounding out on a theory here that maybe Red River broke you guys and that's why both of you needed a side hustle, like a regular job was just not busy enough for you. <laughs> right. So you had to then work around the clock. I remember being astounded that like my workday ended at five o'clock and I just didn't know what to do with myself. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Like, I like that feeling though. Yeah. Whenever I'm on a union, like a film or a theater project that has a union component to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And five o'clock rolls around and there's like the that's mandated checkout. Yeah. It's time for everyone to go and everyone wants to keep working, but you're just not allowed. I'm always also astounded by that. Mm-hmm. I'm fortunate enough that where I work, there's a lot of il- actual illustration projects that I do get to work on. Cool. So I do, I do get to compliment my graphic design. Since you're saying nice things about them, do you want to shout out your uh, place uh, of business? The Manitoba Teacher Society <laughs> is where I work. Um, we do work for their magazines. I actually didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. And you used to be a teacher. Yeah. I saw you in one of their magazines. Yeah. No. Huh. Mm-hmm. Do you draw a mustache on me? Is that where that happened? Is that you? I did. <laughs> yeah, it was you. Oh, that was wow. me. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of illustration components in their yep. publications. Yep. Yeah. And, that's, and my art director has been or my editor has been really um, proud of that fact. Like he likes, when when I had the interview for that job, I thought, oh, this will be a graphic design job. 
they tell you in school don't use illustration in your portfolio for graphic design jobs is that what the yeah well it's yeah they're different industries so yeah. yeah most graphic design firms don't have a whole lot of illustration they want to see how creative you can get like within the design graph design field right right and illustration is kind of its own thing so it's not too often you get to combine those right um, but i would say listeners out there if you're applying for a job and you're in graphic design or illustration like combine the two have both because my my editor was like, why didn't you have this? Because after, uh, the aftermath was like, why didn't you have this in your... Maybe part of the problem, too, is every time I saw a portfolio that had strong graph design and then they included the illustration, the illustration was quite a bit behind mm. the professionalism of the of graph, the graph design. design. Right. Yeah, the graph design was like up here, like around, you know, six, seven, and then the illustration, while nice, kind of brought the professionalism down because it wasn't... Ah. Was so a professional level fit. illustration. Okay. Yeah, so maybe the advice to take from that is that, it, dear listener, if you're not as proud as your of your illustration as you are of your graphic design, be, right? Don't include it. It yeah. takes a lot longer to become a professional illustrator than it yeah. does to become a professional graphic designer. If that right. makes sense. Hmm. Be, be a little bit more self-aware about right. yes what you have. Yeah, like if it's not something that's ready to pop up in a publication, don't right. put it in. And that's what a lot of it was. It was like it's a nice doodle, but that's not what you should right. have in your portfolio. Right. So if you're, um, so magazines that I can think of, like, you know, like Wired Magazine or National Geographic or... Uh, I've been in Wired before. You know, oh, Twice. Wow. Dropping, right? Uh, or, uh, you know, Canada's <laughs> History Magazine. Oh, I've been in I've been We've in. all been in yeah, that. Right? <laughs> uh, but the reason I bring these up is that if you are asking yourself, how do I know if my illustrations are, you know, ready for that? Look at those publications and right. look at them. They're, they're spot illustrations. They're not usually illustrative um, in the way that like a sequential story will be. They're usually like an iconic image related to the topic of the article, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's a different, that's a different skill set. So um, I would encourage people to evaluate both of those kinds of things. I only learned that after I was approached by somebody who was, I guess, editing a magazine and they're like, we want you you want we want your illustrations for this article or whatever and i thought wow this is a game changer i never thought i would be good enough i guess to yeah. be in something that's published but that i don't it, that's just my own sort of no i mean it doesn't matter where you are in your career when someone asks you to re be representative of like a big idea that they have too mm -hmm. it feels amazing yeah. even if you have to turn it down even if it yeah, isn't yeah. the right fit like yeah, there's yeah. there's you know, there's nothing like someone being like, hey, I picked you. Hey, you're good. Right? Yeah. Am I? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, it's, um, I think if we get down a level, at a certain point, everyone who ever wanted to make art professionally or otherwise has always wondered, is it good enough? You have a point yeah. of your, you have a place where you're, where external validation is lacking it is the one place right. where you are not getting constant feedback so when you get it anywhere regardless of where you are right. on your trajectory you like it i always kept my cards pretty close to my chest and <clears throat> when i first got into doing conventions i actually went my first the first convention i went to as a fan was a regina fan expo because i had a friend out there who I was visiting and we went to that and we just kind of you know milled around and looked at what's what and she's like you should do this you should put your art in the show. I was like, uh, I don't know. This is 
I don't I don't really like to put myself out there and she finally convinced me to do it the next year and that was actually my first show that I ever had ever done was Regina Fan Expo and we owe so much to those people that give us that push yeah right and so just the the idea of like I'm a super introverted person and just having just being out in public with the thing that I hold most dear, not most dear but like the thing that I create is like I don't know showing that off to people has always been so scary like mm. I don't know uh, and also with art the the reaction is so immediate yes right? mm-hmm. even exactly. if people aren't saying anything you yeah. can tell if they like it or they I don't I mean like social it. media you get a like that means nothing to yeah. me no. but the immediate sort of feedback is um, world changing mm-hmm. um, so that first show I didn't make any money but just getting the feedback that I got was so encouraging and has kept me going for up until now, I guess. For me, it's I, the heel pivot. You know, whether I'm at a good show or a bad show, mm. there's that moment where someone walks by and they've passed yeah. you, right? You're like out of their line of sight now. And then they pivot on their heel and then pause and look back. Oh, I love that. Right? That is, I mean, and it, it has nothing to, because they're not talking to you. They don't even make eye contact yes. with you. They've just been captured by something in your composition that, you know, some piece of you that's there in the work yeah. spoke to them there in that moment. And maybe they just walk on, right? They don't yeah, necessarily yeah. have to, like, that doesn't matter. That's a matter. win still. That's a, For me, a, I count yeah, that as a win. 100% win. Like, that is, um, it's, uh, it's hard to quantify. Mm-hmm. It's hard to explain to people who don't know it. But, dear listeners, mm-hmm. if you do put your work on display, you know exactly what we're talking about. That moment where the piece of your late night, your weird day, your strange, you know, happy accident that led to that place in the work connected mm-hmm. to somebody else in a way that you think of all the moving parts in a life that had to equal yeah. that one exchange. I just find that so fascinating. Mm-hmm. And just having that first sale. Wow. It was incredible. Like somebody bought this and now they're going to put it on their wall. Maybe. Right. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. Like I never thought Dan is laughing at us from behind his <laughs> producer booth over here. Um, like maybe. Yeah, maybe. I hope they're doing that. That's why else would they buy it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you remember that first one? Like, do you? Um, I think it was either a Batman piece or it was a. It might have been an original piece. I think it was a raptor with a bunch of feathers. Oh, I love that one of yours. Yeah, that's great. Um, that was in that first show. I had that one and eight and seven other prints. And I think that one did as equally as good as the pop culture right. um, items that I had, which was so awesome. Like just to have your own thing do do so well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a great feeling. That man has a full house, and he knew it. Moving on, I've kind of like tried to balance it as much as I can. Even do more original stuff, especially for shows. Um, and now it's kind of overtaking. Like people want to buy deer or lions or whatever yeah right Mm -hmm. so well and i think that is um you know we've talked on the show before but also with a lot of people at different conventions where there are people who go in there with you know the sort of slangs they're character hunters right yeah i'm going here i'm going to find a batman piece my favorite batman piece at this show i'm going to buy Mm -hmm. then there are other people who give in to that moment of wow i like this yeah i don't even know what it's from right those are the ones that 
when you catch them, it's your style. It's the, you know, the value of the line, the composition, all those, mm-hmm. all those um, incomparable parts that have spoken to them. And mm-hmm. I think that those are the really amazing parts. Or if you have a you know, pop culture reference in your work that they don't know, Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, are you a such and such fan? I'm like, no, I just, just really like this. Yeah, I had right? a piece. I think it was a, it was the, um, I drew a, I drew I drew a Kira from that solo movie, and somebody had looked at it and they're like, wow, I really like this. What is this from? I was like, it's from this movie that probably nobody liked, <laughs> um, but me. So uh, yeah, I like solo too. Um, and she was like, well. I don't really care what it's from. I just want it. It's nice. I'll buy it. I was like, wow, that's really cool. Like you're just taking, taking a leap here for something that just looks nice. I don't know. Right. It's really cool. It's, um, it's all the, you know, judge a book by it. Don't judge a good book by its cover. Well, we do judge books by their cover. (laughs) And like this idea that, you know, we're the cover artists. So we kind of don't like that as much. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But when someone comes and they're they're not actually interested in the story associated with the image, they would tear that cover off and stick it on their wall if that's right. how it was being presented to them. That's a, I think, yeah, that's a win for any graphic mm. designer or artist out there. Now, I have a question to you about being a graphic designer because we've I've heard from Justin a lot about this subject, <laughs> but I would like a new perspective on how uh, your graphic design um, skills or elements influence or don't influence your work um my illustration work yeah uh well composition for sure i think that's been a game changer i try to look at things in a different way try to put them try to draw something in an interesting way to kind of kind of break the mold of like just here's a dude with a sword (laughs) he's standing there in the center and that's it that's it. There's a the guy. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so what do you do to break that up? What's the graphic design part of your brain that kicks in and says no? Well, I do a lot of research. Like I look at a lot of other artists and see what they're doing and not just illustration work, but also graphic design work. Like, right. oh, these, this poster of shapes looks really interesting to me. I'll save that and look at it later kind of thing. And so that's kind of a huge part, like just looking at other things in the world and do you have a folder in your on your computer of oh, all yeah. of that stuff definitely yeah and you've uh, with different composition styles and different i guess designer types uh color palettes all that kind of stuff um what's the word i'm looking for there is uh in you know pre-internet pre-computer days mm-hmm. uh ad companies and whatever they would have rooms that they called the swipe file and it was just tear out pages of you know rival magazine compositions yeah. or newspapers or international publications where the art director or the design team would recognize quality tear it out put it in a file so that when they're you know okay we're going to do a thing we're going to use art deco as our prompt here go to the swipe file right pull it out look at all the different times that we collect stuff that we knew mm-hmm. um and it has this you know in the in the internet era the idea of the swipe file has taken on a new oh, kind of persona where people now hunt for obvious swipes like oh you just copied that as opposed to right. being 
inspired by that right. right so the swipe file originally was not a way to like oh well we'll just copy this one and then put it in our magazine mm -hmm. it was to look at how a room full of a of 30 other designers came to this major ad decision mm -hmm. and then they would try to reverse engineer it um sometimes a, an angle at a time like right. if this is at a 30 degree angle like what was the design choice Right, because in those days, print was everything. Print was all, right? Yeah. You did a print ad campaign, and people would turn those pages in those magazines. And if it didn't catch you in that half second, and you turned the page, then it was considered a failure, mm. right? Um, and I'm really uh, fascinated by the idea of the things that make me pause, right? And I also collect stuff into a file. That's why I ask. Right. Everyone's got one, right? Not everyone admits to having it, right? <laughs> um, or you have the the uh, invisible layers in your Photoshop document. I think a lot of people have those where you've, you, you've dropped elements of your swipe file in there and you're trying to figure out like, oh, would mm -hmm. this work? Is this the colors? Is this how, mm -hmm. where will it all fit? And when I do the stuff related to, uh, like I do a lot of propaganda related posters. Yeah. So I pull from five or six different cultures worth of propaganda ads in different eras from the 20s to the 60s. And then, you know, just sort of moving those around and sometimes they click and then Sometimes they click, and then I'm like, why does this seem so familiar? Like, it's not like that I've borrowed from this and this. Then I realize that someone else has borrowed it. Yeah. Like, what I've done, mm. someone else did You've too. Created, you yeah. engineered that piece without realizing Without yeah. realizing it, and I find that to be a really fascinating mm -hmm. thing, you know, because we're all... And so then it's when I have those moments that I'm like, okay, I have to go to the library, mm -hmm. right? I have to go to an art gallery. I have to go to a place and see something that I can't search for. Mm -hmm. I have to discover things new that I'm not looking for. Otherwise, I'm just reducing and reducing and simmering on the stove until right. it's just the same thing that everybody's using, right? Mm -hmm. um, do you guys find that? How do you refresh? How do you restart? Get out of the loop, the swipe file loop? By working on other things. Like yeah. if I'm working on my actual day job as a graphic designer, things will often come to me like well, just I don't know just I have a sketchbook full of really loose really um unreadable sketches that nobody could decipher that like oh this looks like a cool composition I'll just kind of like scribble something down while I'm working on a magazine layout or something like that if I'm doing something else I these ideas will come to me that out of nowhere just kind of and then I'll do some more research on those ideas later. It's like, well, is this going to work kind of thing? We've talked about this phenomenon a fair amount. It comes up a lot. We need a name for it. The moment where, because you're not allowed to work on it, the new idea yeah. arrives and you have no yes. choice but to scribble it in the margin somewhere. And that's all you can think about yeah. for the rest yeah. of the day? Yeah. And then but your day drags and you're like, oh. Yeah, if only I could get back <laughs> to this, right? And then um, you get home and you're like, oh, I'm exhausted. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. I've got a premature detonation on dome number two and I've got an explosion in the main cargo deck. Now, please advise me immediately. So how do you balance it? Um, well, sometimes I just do it at work. No, um, <laughs> weekends are a huge thing. Like if I have a free weekend, I'm, my partner and I were pretty active, so it's kind of hard to find a spare moment to do that. Um, but there are definitely weekends where I'll take a deep dive and just go. So, so when you're working on a piece, do you try to finish it like in a single glut? Or um, are you, uh... Usually it, it happens in a week where I'm kind of picking away at it at, at the start. And I'm like, eh, I don't know if this is really a thing that I'm going to do. And then all of a sudden that thing turns into a sketch. And that sketch turns into like a more refined 
sketch and then there's color that's introduced and like ah maybe i'll come back to this it's all kind of like at that point are you still working are you still analog at that point or have you gone um i've gone digital by by then by the color stage i assume right Yeah, yeah for sure um usually the analog part is only like just a composition like a like a scribble sketch and then it's very rare that i do like a full actual traditional drawing nowadays which is sad i miss that yeah i do have a sketchbook i should he's use looking it. listfully into, <laughs> the, into the invisible oh, horizon a right sketchbook. now i miss you you gotta make a book is how i got around that um i was really missing like drawing traditionally but then when cassie and tonk came out we did that every book that gets sold you get a sketch in it oh as yeah, well. yeah so that kind of brought back the i had to do sketches mm-hmm. all the time as books were selling and so I've always been, yeah, really happy with that decision, and we've kept yeah. that tradition going. I've kept, like- I've kept my eye out for, like, just things that around the city where you could show up and draw. Like, mm-hmm. there's, like, I went to this church basement one time, and there was just nude models, and we were draw- <laughs> drawing them. Just, like, kind of A posing. A typical <laughs> church basement <laughs> church, scenario. Exactly, yeah. right? It was um, pretty forward-thinking. Did you get a like tattoo and a brand to get into this? Uh, sounds like no. We have a lot of cult history, yeah. just in case the Here's dear listeners from somewhere else. We it have did a feel lot like a very culty cult basement. Yeah. Yeah. But I, don't, I just try to keep my eyes open for something like that and try to take, build up the courage to take that jump of like, okay, right. let's go drawing tonight. I'm so bad at this, but I can do it. It's amazing. It's, yeah, drawing from life. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's uh, it really reignites me i think that's kind of but you don't do it enough i don't do it enough just time like like i said my partner and i we were so busy with life things um you know fixing up the house like summer is all about gardening and yeah um going out and doing hiking trips and stuff like that and that's also i find inspiration in nature so right i do enjoy going out and doing that kind of stuff and i take that back with me and put it into and then put it down else. yeah i found carrying a sketchbook with me most places is the way and like i'm i love doing and it's been years since i've been able to do it but like an eight hour you know figure drawing where the person just sits and mm-hmm. you just you know collect the light collect the color collect mm-hmm. all that stuff it's been a long time since i've been able to do that but i love it and the way that i kind of feed that is that i take sketchbooks with me and i'll just draw from life 30 40 seconds at a time in my day right right um, and then I usually lament by the end of that sketchbook that I didn't take all those little snippets and just pile them into one effort. But mm, mm-hmm. yeah, it's true. Yeah, I have sketchbooks that are kind of like pages that are many pages between sketches. I'm like, what did I do here? Why did I skip all these pages? And then there's this little kind of a skull or whatever and some flowers. <laughs> and then maybe in the next couple pages, there's like, a square. What was going in the square? What was I doing here? So we've been cleaning out some, doing the like classic spring cleaning thing and making a big pile of stuff that I'll probably just set on fire. But um, I have a whole bunch of old sketchbooks and I noticed that mm-hmm. when I was um, like in my misspent use, I would jump around almost like I was trying to give space to like that this idea Ideas. and this idea are not together. So I'm going to give them space within the right. book. And as I progress, it's like, it's literally Every year through my sketchbooks, I get less and less space between them until like now I just want to use the next page 
-hmm. and I'll sort it all out later. And so yeah. it becomes, it does though feel more like the ramblings of a mad person when yes, you look through it sure. because you haven't given it that space. I have work notes that are like just a full page of notes that I need to do like, oh, this is due next week, whatever. But on top of that is just an, a maze of sketches that I'm now I've lost what I'm supposed to do for work the next week. Like I don't um, just a bunch of random doodles and I don't know why I don't just do that in an actual sketchbook, but oh well. Do you save those? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. So you just got to bind them up yourself yeah. now. So what is the um, trajectory that you see? your work taking you know like you have a regular job you sounds like you have mm -hmm. a pretty active fulfilling life yet somehow you have this compulsion to make work and present work and <laughs> what is uh what do you hope that'll become you know i i'm not really sure at this point um i don't know where my full-time day job will take me um it's kind of scary to think about being a graphic designer in 10 years 15 years like what does that look like right um, especially with all these new algorithms exactly uh, yeah like i watch stuff from the last big tech conference about that where it's like design your website and the uh, algorithm just like they fill in a little questionnaire and then it yeah builds you a thing just like it was terrifying yeah it's scary um illustration wise while i'm taking a break this summer from freelance just to deal with family stuff and and kind of uh, focus on summer events and uh, hopefully this fall I'll get back into more freelance. But I really don't know. I've been looking at, uh, like, I don't really know where I'm going. I've been mm. looking at other things, but I can't say for sure. Uh, Justin stumbled on the amazing ability of just collecting all the work that you've done into little art books, mm. right? I say little, but that that has cr like art books for sure. That has crossed my mind to like, what if I put something together or build something specifically to fit into a book, like a right. series of a collection of art that kind of all ties together, right? Like a comic book, but not like a comic book, I right? Oh, tell me more about this. Um, I had this idea of uh, maybe telling a story just through a series of images that could be used as either posters or. So like a photo essay, but illustration. Kind of, yes. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. But it's just the, the motivation to do it. Is yeah, right. Of. Sure. A lot of the Ashley Wood art collections, they're basically art books that have a loose story that is mm. uh, what, Louise, T.P. Louise, I think is his wife's name. She comes in after and then I don't actually know with firsthand knowledge that this is their creative process. But what it looks to me outside is that he does a series of paintings that are loosely related. Right. And then she comes in after and writes a narrative that connects them even more loosely and then put it all together. It feels like a story, but it reads like an art book. Like you flip through it like you would an art book, just looking for inspiration. But if you pause to read the little liner notes that go along with each painting, they reveal a larger story. There is no more beauty and there's no more imagination and there are no frontiers left to conquer. And you know why? Only one reason why. And that is nobody cares. What's the next show for you? My next show will be at Fan Quest, June 22nd and 23rd. <laughs> um, nailed it on the first try. Uh, I'm really excited for it. It's my first time being at that show. Um, and yeah, it'd be a cool venue to be at, Red River College. Have you made new work for it? 
Yes. Yes. Well, new as in it's out there. People have seen it. Like it's on the internet. Yeah. They could find it, but yeah. you haven't had it. Yeah, I'll get some stuff made up for you. Yeah, I'm going to sure. have, uh, I'm pretty excited. Um, I have to give you and Scott Ford props for introducing me to foil printing. I tried oh, yeah. that out and have been super happy with the results and have yeah, a whole amazing. slew of things planned to do with it now. And mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, it's mostly Scott's fault, but also yours as well. Yeah, it's interesting the scaffold that technology has provided visual art. You mm-hmm. know, like there was a time where if you wanted to do foil, you had to hand glue put it all together brush thin metal foil over stuff and now Mm -hmm. technology says no just give us this mask and we'll produce it for you out of a quarter million dollar machine for a price for a price yeah um do you guys think that that's a good direction that art has taken or discuss um i think it's opened up a lot of options for me, like I've tried screen printing and it's really, it's really cool, but it's a lot of work and I don't like putting in a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> but you just told us how patient and like careful you are and meticulous. It's true. Uh, when it's in my own home and I have the things already that I need for it, like, right. I don't know, collecting up, a, collecting a rig or the parts for a rig for a screen printing operation. Very is, daunting to me also. Is, yeah. I've looked into it and I don't know <laughs> if I even have the space for something like that. Yeah. Of course I could rent space at Martha street, but yeah, again, the time to find it. Uh, and I've been looking at short run screen print, like options also in other cities and other places. And there are, you know, there are screen print shops that do that exact thing. Yeah. But again, the, um, and I don't know if it's just because it's so outside of my direct experience. I mean, I've done screen printing before in mm-hmm. my, like when I was a teenager, I used to screen print all kinds of stuff, but yeah. it's comes, even that has come so far beyond that I, yeah, I find it like a very esoteric field and not everyone is really interested in the higher end. Yeah. So you would put in this ton of work and a huge amount of effort, and it would be produced on like very specific paper with very specific hand-pulled inks. That's the and thing. then the consumer says, uh, well, this other one over here, which looks exactly the same, is only $20. Yeah. I'll take that one. That's exactly. my big hang-up, too. Yeah, is, um, like I, I love the look of screen-printed work and the amount of effort. Like I'm familiar, but like yeah, most consumers don't know the difference between that and it's printed mm-hmm. on like a thick linen paper, right? right. It, they can't tell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a big, uh, big and hurdle. Then, and then it's, you know, I'm very interested in the way that technology has allowed for a democratization of art, right? That you can have a full color, really great piece of work, right? Um, that was done by the person that sold it to you, and it only costs you twenty dollars. Like mm-hmm. to me, that is, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Right. There, would, there was a time in human history where if you wanted a painting, you had to be a patron and you had to pay that person a living wage long enough yeah. for them to paint an oil painting of mm-hmm. you or whatever you chose. And now we can just go out and find stuff and buy it. And, yeah. You know, for good or ill, it's just how it is. Would you, um, when you do freelance, are you very selective? It sounds like you don't do very I, much. I, I am very selective. It's, if it's a project that I uh, really think has merit, to me, or if it's a person that I've worked with before that I really like working with, I'll do that. Um, but I, I definitely look into who I'm working with beforehand before I accept any jobs. 
Um, what shuts you down? What's the big no? Um, well, first, if they can pay me. <laughs> That's a big, big one, I would say. Uh, good, good advice to your listener. Uh, also, content matter. Like, if it's something that's really outside of what I might believe in or that kind of stuff. Like, right. I'm not going to sell my soul for something that's, you know. You get a lot of, does that come up? Um, here and there. Like, yeah. yeah. It's shocking. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh. I want these yeah. details now. Yeah. Uh, but Do I've, you have any stories like that where, like, just morally, you're like, I can't work on this? Um, I guess I do. I mean, the most the one that comes immediately to mind is uh, this vape company oh, wanted yeah. me to do a regular mm. comic strip for them. And they were telling me, like, yeah, you know, we're going to get a million hits a month on this website. Do you mm. want to, mm-hmm. you know, do stuff for me? And I was like, well, you know, as a... Do you think that might have been exaggerated traffic? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Like a little local vape, vape shop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether it's exaggerated or not, <laughs> the... Let's let let's all things being equal. Let's imagine it was true. Let's imagine right. all the promises were true. That they could pay you, that you would get great exposure, that all those things were in fact true. It came down to the fact that you know, um, as a father of two children and as an educator of uh, you know literally thousand kids, the idea that we should encourage people to smoke regularly right. did not sit well with my, you know, personal. <laughs> but it's watermelon flavor, so. <laughs> right? Uh, in a, one of the most unregulated industries mm. related to health, like possibly on the planet, right? So, you know, if you vape or smoke, you know, that is absolutely your choice. Sure. But it's also my choice whether I want to labor for a company yeah. that then tells you that it's cool. I had one, uh, someone had asked me if I could do a logo or an illustration for I don't know, some kind of gun club or something. I was like, uh. This was early on in my freelance, and it kind of was like the first time I was like, do I want to do something gun-related right. for this group of people, for this club or whatever? I kind of hummed and hawed about it. It's like, and I just, I couldn't pull the trigger. (laughs) (laughs) It was just too much. Like I just, there was so much going on in the world at that time. And I was like, this doesn't deep down in my heart. I can't possibly do this. Like I can't promote this. And then it has also carried on to what I do personally. Like I look at, I don't know, I guess comic books, if I'm doing, particular character or something um like there are certain people i would certain characters i would steer away from like i guess punisher would be one i never liked him to begin with but a character of equal um, violence would probably i would probably never do something like that just because i i, I don't know it just doesn't sit well with me right mm-hmm. because uh, it's like if we labor on it it's like we're endorsing it mm-hmm. right um, but there's also a lesson in there, I think, for anyone doing design work or illustration, that if you don't feel like you can connect really with the material, right. you're probably the wrong person for the job anyway, even if it paid well, even if it was just like, you know, whatever, like a sweater company, and you're like, man, I guess it seems like a good paycheck. Right. You probably shouldn't do it if you're not really passionate, you know. If those gun club guys found yeah. someone who were really into guns that also was a graphic designer, their mm-hmm. logo turns out a lot better than someone who doesn't really want to do it. Sure. Those right. people are out there. And they are out there. Yeah. And they have guns. Feel a hefty jolt? 
Mm, I want a front row seat when these babies go. I'll bet you do. At the beginning of my convention career, I guess you would call it, um, the first couple of years into it, I thought, oh, wow, I'm actually making some money now. Like this sort of the idea of selling mm. art was kind of at the forefront. And I thought, well, what if I did art that was popular? Like the thing that's in people's minds in the moment, like, oh, the next Marvel movie, I'll do right. something for that. How did that work out? And it didn't. Like, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I tried. Like, I did a couple pieces where I thought Never these are going to yeah. sell. And sure, they did sell. But I didn't like doing those pieces. Yeah. Like, I didn't yeah. like the characters. I didn't. And so I just decided I, I'm going to do what I want to do. I want to draw, draw dinosaurs. I want to draw... Um, Star Wars things like I just want to do the things that I love and I kind of stuck with that for since then so that's uh, usually how it works yeah yeah when you anytime you try to do something just for the money it doesn't work and I mean you might get some money but then you spent that money and now you have the hassle of being known for this work that you didn't and even if I made the money like I'm in a position where I don't like doing com cons and illustration on the side is kind of a hobby at this point. Yeah, right, because you have, have a creatively a, fulfilling regular job. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't really need to do this. Like, I respect the people who do conventions all year round, and that's their bread and butter. And if they can tap into those pop culture things yeah. and make their money that way, then go ahead. Like, absolutely, for yeah. sure. Do what you need to do to feed yourself kind of thing. Or, well, that sounds a little One bit... jump ahead of the bread line, as we were talking about earlier, right? Mm. Um, yeah, right. But if it's not in you to do, mm -hmm. or if it erodes at you to do it, mm -hmm. then perhaps you will regret it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. How about you? Have you ever been directly approached to something that was so off-brand you just had to say no? I mean, you get a lot of offers for things. Um, probably dog portraits. Dog portraits is a no, hard <laughs> no. no. Um, Actually, I... If anyone out there who's listening... That kind of sounds like fun, though. <laughs> yeah, who really wants a dog portrait, though, Chris Simonite here in Winnipeg yeah. loves doing... He does oil paintings. He does really realistic oil paintings. He told me, I love doing people's pet portraits. They're super fun, and they always love them, so... Listen. You get to meet a puppy? Yeah, you you, we can, I can hook you up if you really <laughs> need a, a portrait, but Chasing Artwork's not your guy. Oh, cute. <laughs> so, I think at this point in my career, like, I've... I've been a graph designer. I like graph design. I, I've done my fair share of logos, and I still like doing logos, but I feel like it's kind of, that's a bit behind me now, and I'm in my own little field now, and I'm good at what I do. And I, every so often, I have somebody come up to me at a convention, and they'll just like, oh, you're a graph designer? You can do my logo. Yes, mm -hmm. right. It's like, yeah. it's going to be like a superhero logo, so it'll be fun. It'll be yep. like an illustration thing. And yeah. I'm like, I don't, I'm not really a graph designer. And like when I do, like I'm really expensive. And yeah. like, oh, well, like it's like illustration, so you'll <laughs> like it. And yeah. yeah, that conversation, I don't know. I don't, I don't like that one. So I don't like I find the quickest way to get out of those uh, conversations is give them a really steep price. That's usually what happens. Yeah, I quote like my day rate and that's Double. It. Day rate plus. <laughs> <laughs> just if you want just them to, to go be away. Safe. <laughs> but what if they say, see, the, the danger of just giving the price is if they, if 
some some people price is no object i've been in that position That's, where i'm like yeah. oh yeah it's this exorbitant fee and they're like okay great i'll send you the thing mm -hmm. and then you're like oh no right because the only barrier in your mind was that they you know it's not worth that but they mm -hmm. just want what they want how they want it and then you're willing to pay for it and that's not that's not a good thing either mm -hmm. um oh i was going to ask something related to that and then it evaporated oh i was going to mention that so we're all talking about this this part that happens in the freelance world where people come to us sometimes with job offers or we're looking for job offers right. or we're you know submitting work places or what have you i was just uh in montreal at Yafest is like a young adult literary festival and there were 22 of us that were invited as guests and so I was with 21 other young adult authors all of whom have agents that handle all of that stuff hmm. right and to be in these conversations where I'm saying like oh yeah I'm pitching this thing and oh I'm pitching that in comics and oh I did this and just the blank stares of wait you're doing what you do you're doing that why do you why do you do that isn't that your agent's job, right? And it's like, oh, well, no, I don't have an agent. And they're like, well, why not? I don't want to do any of that stuff, oh, man. right? And it's just this whole other world, mm -hmm. right? Like illustration is a very different, it just was very clear to me that while I've done some stuff in the, in the young adult book world, mm -hmm. right? I am very much in this liminal place between the two where yes, I have, um, uh, relationships with some publishers and I have some pro stuff that's being reviewed right now but I'm not in a place where an agent could come in and say from your pros I could make this right and most agents are in a position where they want a piece of anything you've arranged so they might go hunting for you and find you a job but if you also find a job that agent is entitled to a piece of that mm -hmm. that's how that whole thing works and so to me that's a as someone who writes horror stuff and kids stuff and you know <laughs> teen stuff and it works a little bit in film and a little bit like where i've done all that labor it's been really hard to imagine that i would let someone else take 15 percent of all mm -hmm. of that um but then i found a few of those people who secretly whispered to me that they have more than one agent wow for different kinds of projects so they're like yeah you know i'm selling some stuff in the adult market I have a different agent than I have for the teen market than I have for the kids, for the, huh. for the book market. And I don't say that to other people. I just say my agent as if I only have one. But the truth is the specialization has <laughs> resulted in this sort of world where they have all these different people who are out there shaking the trees for them in order to keep right. it going. And that was a, a revelation to me. I was like, wait, I can have one person for comic stuff, one person for pro stuff, one person for illustration stuff. Mm -hmm. That could be kind of wild. Um, but then we'd miss out on all those great awkward conversations of mm -hmm. please do my logo. <laughs> I don't think you guys understand what this means. Please don't blow up the domes. It's five years later. Where are you? Five years later. From now? Yeah. Five years later. That's a bit too far to see into the future, I think. Right, so now five you can years. just make it up. It's great. Okay. <laughs> I'm on Mars. I hope so. I hope we're on Mars. I'm looking for a colony that's been lost to time. Are you armed? I'm not armed. Is it a I'm, peaceful mission? I'm a pacifist. I have a little droid with me. His name is, or its name is, it's not, it has no gender. Its name is Table. <laughs> Table 2D2. <laughs> uh, and we're just, uh, you know, 
shooting the breeze. In my version of this story, you see a flag flapping at the flapping. colony that you see. Yeah, it's like they've got a little wind machine because that's what they do. And Damn. the logo is the logo of that gun club that you turned down. Oh, no. <laughs> that's your future. No, yeah. but seriously, where, where do you think? Um, like you want to stay with? Uh, I want to stay doing some kind of like steady graphic design work. I right. really like that. I think that's a really good uh, spot for me. Um, illustration wise, I don't know, maybe I'll, I've only gone as far as Regina for conventions. I would like to probably branch out like as far as I can. So if you, the so West Coast, East Coast. you did this, you, this is an exact trajectory for you where you had the day job, which you liked. And then you started doing some stuff on the side and then you started going to further and further away shows. Mm -hmm. If you knowing what you know now, if you wanted to tell Matt, what's the best furthest away show to attend, what would you recommend? And for what reason? Um, the Toronto fan expo mm -hmm. in August is Canada's biggest convention. And like out of all the conventions I do, that Toronto show is like up there with New York and San Diego. Wow. Like as far as like the quality of like the convention, the fan mm -hmm. attendance, the guests, like our Toronto fan expo is pretty right. extraordinary. Yeah. So if you've done, if you do that, like you can, you'd be able to survive at like right. New York or San Diego. And then the leap beyond that for just hearing what you've said about um, magazine illustrations or illustration mm -hmm. work or being wanting to be more selective with your uh, freelance clients, mm -hmm. I would recommend New York Comic Con then also. New York Comic Con is a very, very expensive show, but it's, um, it's also like it's a very, it's a good show. And then we always come back with so much freelance opportunities wow. from it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's like not only is it, a great convention it's the biggest convention for projects right it's, it's part of the culture of that show is that right. art directors come there looking for potential that's where you got baby with. metal that's where i got marvel it's wow. where yeah yeah. Cool. yeah where a lot of things happen yeah um yeah interesting i, I think yeah okay just check oh we cut all this stuff out. He edits oh, around okay. our yeah. divergences so mm, don't okay. worry it'll seem seamless and it will seem so smart feels like yeah. it's long but yeah. it's good yeah. I feel good. I feel good. Is there anything that we should push to make you sound super wise and great at the end? Oh, boy. I'm not a very wise person. No, I can't. Uh, I don't have any, like, world-changing quotes or anything. But if you want to visit my website, is that what, what, is that what sure. we're doing here now? Do <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, yes, tell us where people can find your stuff. You can find my stuff at mattkaylorart.com. Um, Kaler, that's how you say it if you see me uh, in the uh, wild. How do you spell it if they're trying to look it up? K-E-H-L-E-R. It's A, like E-H, like A. Like quintessentially Canadian. Cat. Yes. A, A Canada. Now, okay, so the last thing I'm going to ask, uh, I'm going to ask you is for our dear listener's sake, what are what is a daily piece of advice that you return to as a graphic designer or illustrator? daily piece yeah, of like what's the thing do you have a mantra uh be open to new experience like new new artwork new experiences just let it all soak in like soak up as much as you can 
um, because uh, you might learn something. That's about as profound as it's ever been. Um, this has been Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made, and uh, Justin is now going to go take to Advil and fall asleep. Um, the rest of us are going to get back to our work day. I encourage you to join the fight and make comments. Thank you.